Mark chapter 7. We won't read the the text again right now, but we will, uh, as we go through this, we we will hit on every verse, and uh, as we do, um, I pray that the Lord would speak to our hearts. We're going to just go to the Lord again in prayer, and as I pray, as we have been saying lately, I would ask that you pray as well, and just ask God to speak to your hearts um, so that we can receive from His Word what He desires for us to receive. Let's pray. God, we thank you again for this time. We, we do thank you, God, for your goodness to us. We thank you for your word that you have preserved for us. We thank you, God, for your spirit that lives within us. We thank you for Jesus, who is our great high priest, God, who, who intercedes in our behalf to you. And God, certainly, uh, we, we have much to be thankful for just in a spiritual sense, um, that we are your children that we are loved, that we are forgiven, that we have been cleansed, God, that, that we have been healed from the, the, the grip of the sin that once did such great damage to us, spiritually speaking, and God, we have been restored. And God, as we look to this passage of Scripture today, I, I pray that our hearts would understand the story that, that while Jesus deals with some physical issues here, ultimately, again, these are pointing to the spiritual purposes that he came to fulfill. God, we thank you that, that we get to be numbered with the redeemed. That it's not just a, a certain class or a certain group or a certain nation of people that you have called to yourself, but Jesus is a big enough Savior to save people from all ends of the earth. And God, we thank you that we get to be a part of that. We pray that your word would speak to our hearts. And God, we pray that where it speaks, we will listen, that we will be obedient, not simply hearers of the word, but hearers and doers. Thank you again for this time we can gather. Use it for our good and your glory. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. The title of the message today is Visible Faith. Visible Faith. I think this is the 26th or 7th message as we've gone through the Gospel of Mark so far. And maybe you're wondering, as I was kind of wondering this week, how long is this going to take? And the answer to that question is, I have no idea. And so just... We'll, we'll make it through the end of Mark when we make it through the end of Mark. And uh, whatever God gets us there, we'll get there. And, and we'll pray that we learn what he wants us to learn along the way. But certainly in this last section of Mark, Jesus had been dealing a great deal with this idea of faith and having faith in him and, and having that faith in him that continues uh, to, to the very end. And we know the Bible talks a great deal of faith. In fact, Hebrews 11, 1 through 3, which is part of our scripture reading this morning, says this, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so the the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. In reading and rereading those verses, it's almost would seem that as, as this faith that's being spoken of is a concept that is indeed invisible. It speaks of this idea of hope. It speaks of having an understanding in our minds. And in reality, oftentimes, this is how we also speak of faith in these very, very ways. That we say, have the faith, or keep the faith, or simply just believe. But have any of us ever held faith in our hands? We haven't. And it does seem on some level that it is a concept. But we also understand that faith is a concrete. 
It's not just a concept that is made up in our minds, but it's this concrete reality that we as believers live in. And it should not be invisible, but it should be visible. For if faith was just a concept with no physical reality, then there would really be no impact if you had faith or didn't have faith. And while Hebrews 11 begins in this way of speaking of this concept of faith, we understand that these are really only introductory verses. And then the writer of Hebrews goes on to to show the impact that faith is going to have in the lives that we live. And so while faith itself is invisible, the reality of faith in our lives should be very visible. The way that we function, the way that we move about this world, the way that we make choices, it should be visible to those around us, to our church family, to the lost in the world around us, that they can see something different in us. And it's that the object of our faith is guiding our lives. And who is the object of our faith? It's none other than the person, Jesus Christ. So as we go through this text today, Jesus is going to commend this lady, this Syrophoenician woman, of the great faith that she has. If you want to read another passage on this, you could turn to Matthew 15 later today and read that passage and and see how Matthew kind of dives into this story a little bit deeper. He gives a few more details as to what is going on here. But there comes a point in that story where Jesus looks at this woman and he says, you have great faith. And what a compliment that must have been coming from God in the flesh. As he looked at one of his creatures, one of the people that he had created, one of the ones that he would go and die for, as he looks at her faith because of the situation she's in, and he commends her for the type of faith and for the amount of faith that she has. And in reality, as we go through this story today, we're going to see that this lady's faith was very visible in the way that she lived her life. So the question I want to ask us this morning is simply this, is our faith visible? We talk about faith, don't we? We understand that we're saved by faith, that God has done a work in our hearts to draw us to this place in our lives where we understand we are sinners in need of a Savior, and by faith we place our trust in Him. But as we said a moment ago, that faith should then be lived out in our daily lives so that we and those around us and the world that we live in can see that we live with a greater person guiding us and, and leading us through the affairs that we face in this life. This account that we are going to look at today is an interesting one. If you're familiar with it, the the conversation seems a little bit tense at times as Jesus says something to this woman that we'll see in a little while that, that could have been very offensive. But regardless of what Jesus said, we know that his intent was to draw her into a relationship with him in some way. And in that, we also see that this woman stayed true to her mission. She wasn't a Jew, and she recognizes that in her verbal interaction with Christ, but that did not stop her from being persistent in her pursuit of what she knew Christ alone could do. This woman, in reality, had a level of belief that even the closest followers of Christ did not have. She was understanding something that was not revealed to her by flesh and blood, but she was understanding a truth that would go on to change her life as she lived out this faith in a community, in a people group that that hated the Jews. So as we look at this today, I would ask ask us again to consider the question, is our faith visible? The big idea that we'll look at this morning is this. The lives that we live in this world are a picture of the faith that is in our hearts. 
The faith that we say we have will be of no true value to us or others if we do not actively live it out. And so is your faith visible? Are we pursuing by faith a closer walk with the Lord? Are we pursuing by faith the God who has saved us to know Him deeper, to love Him more, and to serve Him more faithfully? Are we following and trusting, working and simply living, not by faith in ourselves, but by faith in Him alone? So I want to see four things this morning about a visible faith that I hope will be a help to us as we think about the faith that we have in our lives. The first thing is that faith recognizes the need. Faith recognizes the need. In verses 24 through 26, Mark says this, And from thence he arose and went into the borders of Tyre and Sidon and entered into a house and would have no man know it, but he could not be hid. For a certain woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by nation, and she besought him that he would cast forth the devil out of her daughter. As we've said all along through the Gospel of Mark, everything that Jesus does is intentional. It appears that the encounter with the scribes and the Pharisees that happened uh, in the earlier portions of Mark 7 led Jesus to coming to this place where he needed a break. And if you remember back all the way uh, in, in Mark's, end of Mark 6 into Mark 7, we see that Jesus was trying to get away with his disciples so that they could rest and recuperate and, and refocus and recenter their lives. And here again, as Jesus tries to break away from the crowds, as he makes his way into this, this area known as Tyre and Sidon, we see that, that he was trying to enter into a house. And the Bible says that though he was trying to do this to get away, the reality was Jesus couldn't be hid. I, I love that thought. That wherever Jesus went, people were recognizing who he was, they were recognizing what he was able to do, and they were flocking to him in some sense. So Jesus decides to get away, and this reminds us that the physical side of Christ's life, the ministry that he was engaged in and involved in, would have been very exhausting to the God-man. He needed a rest, he needed a break. So he makes his way again to Tyre and Sidon, which was a very pagan area. This place was filled with Gentiles, and they likely had every Gentile practice imaginable in these villages. These cities had a rich but stained past as they opposed Israel greatly throughout the history. This place in the Old Testament time would have been the place that Jezebel resided. If you know anything about Jezebel in the Old Testament, you'll understand that she was indeed a wicked woman who hated the nation of Israel. There were several prophets who prophesied from this place in years gone by, but now Christ finds himself in Tyre and Sidon. And if you're wondering where that is in in modern day, it would be what's known as Lebanon today. So there Jesus goes. He's trying to break away from the crowds, trying to find a place to rest, but the people begin to recognize him. And it's no doubt or or no wonder why people recognized him, because earlier in Mark chapter 3, we see a group came from this region to see Jesus do great and mighty works. And so as people came from this region to where Jesus was, they saw him perform all these miracles. And then what do you think they did after that? They went back home and they began to tell everybody the things that they saw. They, they saw the miracles, they saw the signs, they saw the wonders, and they began to pronounce and announce all that Jesus had done. And so as Jesus makes his way to Tyre and Sidon, as he tries to enter in, into a house to hide himself away, it's no wonder that a few minutes after he was there, 
all of a sudden there's a knock on the door. And it wasn't a quiet, calm knock. I, I would guess it was probably a little more of a pounding. And as that door opened up, and this is some conjecture, because we don't know exactly how this all played out. As that door opened up, we're met by this woman who was a Greek, who was a Gentile, who was a Canaanite, somebody, again, who would have been in opposition to the, the nation of the Jews as a whole. The Bible says, as the door opens up, or as they finally see each other face to face, this woman falls down at the feet of Jesus, and she begins to beg for Jesus to do a miracle. She begins to cry out for Jesus to touch her daughter, to heal her daughter. And, and she begins to cry out to him because she recognized that he was the only one who could help her in this situation. If you've had children uh, in your life in any way, shape, or form, and you've had a child in your life that has any sort of severe sickness or illness, or, or even when you have a baby that has a high fever, what mother wouldn't do all they could do to try to help their child become whole again? Well, if we take that example and we multiply it by a hundred, that's what's going on in this scenario, because this child didn't have a fever. She didn't have a cough or a cold. She was possessed with a devil. A demon was living inside this lady's child and she recognized because of the stories that she heard or maybe she herself was one of those who saw Jesus earlier in his ministry and she recognized when Jesus came onto the scene that if anybody was going to be able to help her, then Jesus was going to be the one to be able to do it. And so she frantically comes. She, she comes with great desperation. She comes with great desire and she falls at the feet of Jesus, this pagan woman who really had no right to, to do what she did here. She falls at the feet of Jesus, desiring that Jesus would do a miracle for her child. This great desperation is not the only place that we see this in the Bible. This account actually reminded me of the woman with the issue of blood who said, when she faced the disease for over 12 years, if I could just but touch the hem of his garment, I know I'll be made whole. And so this woman who didn't come from the right background, who didn't have the right lineage, who didn't have the right family, we understand in this moment, she did have something that even the closest followers of Jesus didn't have, and that was great faith. She was recognizing and understanding that if anybody could fix the situation she was in, it was going to be Jesus. And so she comes and she begs him. She desperately falls at his feet. The, the passage in, in Matthew says that she cries out, Son of David, which is a recognition in some way of the fact that he was the promised one who had come to be in some way the savior of the world. And this woman who came from a a background that was not what the Jews would have desired, had understanding in this moment about Jesus that was impacting the way that she lived her life. And the faith that she had in this moment reveals to us that she recognized the need that she had was, greater, was a greater need than any man could fulfill or fix. That she needed something supernatural. And so faith recognizes the need. As we think about this scenario of this woman falling at the feet of Jesus, it in reality is an excellent picture of what saving faith is. This woman understood there was a need that she couldn't fix, that nobody around her could help her with. She realized that, that she, 
It wasn't because of her or her background that Jesus was going to help her. She just realized that there was a need and Jesus was the one who could fill that need. And every person who has ever possessed true salvation has come to that same conclusion that it's not because of my background. It's not because of my family. It's not because of what I've done that I can get this help. But it's because of who Jesus is that I can get this help. Because he's gracious and kind and loving and compassionate. And as this woman played in her mind over and over again the things that she saw Jesus do before, understand it grew faith in her to come to this point in her life where she was willing and ready and able to say that if anybody's going to fix this situation, it's got to be Jesus. So faith recognized the need. Her need was great. Nobody could help her daughter. Her daughter was, was living in a horrible and desperate situation. And so when she recognized that reality, she came to the only one who could help her, and his name was Jesus. So first off tonight, faith recognizes the need. Her faith was not invisible, but it was visible because she came to Christ. Her faith was not invisible as she sat at home thinking, oh, oh God, you can help me. Just do it in the way that I want you to do it. But she had to go through something very uncomfortable for her to get her prayer request, her need answered by the only one who could do it. So faith recognizes the need. The second thing we see is that faith presses in persistently. In verses 27 and 28, the passage continues. And this is where it gets a little bit interesting. As Jesus and this woman begin to interact, uh, there are some things that are said here that, that could turn off people to the whole idea of Jesus altogether. In verse 27, the Bible says, but Jesus said unto her, remember, this woman came in desperation. She's she's probably crying. She's bowing down at his feet in some way, recognizing that he has great authority and great power and great ability. And Jesus looks at her and we want the next verse to say, woman, go in peace. Your daughter's been made whole. But that's not what Jesus says. He looks at this woman who has fallen at his feet. And what does he say? He says, let The children first be filled, for it is not meat to take the children's bread and cast it unto the dogs. And she answered and said unto him, Yes, Lord, yet the dogs under the table eat of the children's crumbs. And so this woman is bowing down in desperation, hoping that Jesus is going to help her, hoping that Jesus is going to fix this problem. And in this moment of of great intimacy on the part of the lady as she's bearing her soul to Jesus, Jesus looks at her and says, let the children first be filled, for it is not meet to take the children's bread and to cast it unto the dogs. What is Jesus saying here? Well, if we were to go to Matthew's gospel again, which we won't for time's sake, you can read it again later. Jesus reveals that he had come to who? to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. That was Christ's primary mission as he came to earth, to reveal that he indeed was the saving Messiah to the Jews first. And and that's the model that if you read through the Gospels, even Paul himself kept. Where did he go when he first came into a new city? He would go to the Jewish synagogue and he would preach the Gospel to them. And then where would he go? To all the Gentiles that he could reach. So often the Jews rejected him and Paul found more favor with the Gentiles. And in reality, that's kind of what we see in Christ's life as well. That the Jews that should have recognized his coming rejected him 
and the Gentiles, the ones who opposed the Jews, found great hope and peace in Christ. And so Jesus looks to this woman and said, uh, let, let the children first be filled. And what is Jesus saying? He's saying, you're not a Jewish woman. You don't come from the right background. You don't have the right lineage or the right history. And you don't come from the right family. And Jesus said, it's not right for me to give what belongs to the children to the dogs. Now, some have taken this word dogs and say, well, Jesus didn't mean like a a scavenger dog that you see running around and the dangerous types of dogs. But he was talking about the, the type of dog that would live inside people's house. And so they try to warm up Jesus' words by making it a pet versus a scavenger. Friend, let's understand and agree on something. If you call somebody a dog, it's never a good thing, right? So whether it's a pet that lived in the house or a scavenger dog that roamed the streets and posed danger to those around him, he still called her a dog. And if we were in that situation, when Jesus looked at us and said, let the children first be fed, it's not right that the children's meat should be given to dogs, how would we respond? Because understand, we are the dogs that Jesus is talking about. We're not the Jews. We're not the ones that that Jesus primarily came to as he first came into the world to preach the truth to, but we're, we're the Gentiles. We're the aliens, the the enemies of God. And I dare say that there would be many that if Jesus spoke this way to them, they would say, you know what, Jesus, if you don't have time for me, then I don't have time for you. You know, I I had hopes that that you were going to be a little more compassionate than this, but I'm going to find another way. That's not what this woman does. When Jesus looks at her and says, it's not right that we give the children's meat to dogs, the woman fires back with a response And she says, yes, Lord, yet the dogs under the table eat of the children's crumbs. What is she saying? First off, she's agreeing with Jesus. When she says, yes, Lord, she's agreeing that she does not have the historical background that would make her one that should be a recipient of the blessings of God in her life. She says, yes, Lord, I know I'm a Canaanite. Yes, Lord, I know that I'm a Gentile. Yes, Lord, I know that I have no right as the covenant people of God to come to you because that's not what my background is. But this woman then goes on to reveal something that proves she had greater faith than even the disciples themselves as she says, but don't the dogs even get the crumbs that fall to the floor? She wasn't speaking harshly to Jesus, and in reality, Jesus wasn't speaking harshly to her. This was a test of the faith that this woman had, and guess what? This woman passed the test. When Jesus wouldn't give her what she wanted at first in a conventional way, she says, Jesus, you're not a conventional type of savior. You're not one who who does things in the way that everybody thinks that you're going to do them. And so when she fires back, yes, Lord, but even the dogs get the crumbs that fall from the table. I imagine Jesus began to get a smile on his face. Why? Because he understood that she understood that he was the savior to the world. And in reality, this is in part a fulfillment of the promise that God gave all the way back in Genesis 12, that through the seed of Abraham, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And aren't you thankful today that all the nations of the earth are blessed through Jesus? 
that through Jesus we can find hope and healing, that through Jesus we can find salvation, that through Jesus and Jesus alone we can find the answers to life's problems. But understand this, this visible faith that this woman had was a faith of persistence. That when Jesus gave her an answer at first that she wouldn't have liked, she was willing to respectfully fire back at him and say, yes, but I know that you're able, able. I know that you're capable. I know that you have enough saving power and healing power, not just to heal the Jews, but to heal the world. And in persistence, this woman fired back at Jesus again in a very respect, respectful way as she calls him Lord, recognizing his authority, recognizing his great power, and, and some believe even recognizing his messiahship before it was revealed to the Jews or before the Jews understood it themselves. But she pressed in persistently. And I would ask us today as believers, first off, if we are here today and we have trusted Christ as our Savior, what are you pressing into Christ persistently right now over? Do you know that God loves a persistent faith? That when life is hard and things get tough, that we keep believing? that we don't get deterred by the, the distractions of the world around us, that we don't get distracted or discouraged because things aren't being done in the way that we wanted them to be done. We're going to see this again in the end of the story, that Jesus is not a conventional type of healer, but he is a healer who can heal all things. And friend, as, as he stands as our great high priest, even today, as he intercedes in our behalf, he desires that we press into him persistently. But the problem, I think, oftentimes in our lives is that when we don't get the immediate answer that we want from God, we just move on and find another way to get what we want. But you know what he'd rather us do? Press in persistently. There are people in this room that have been praying for things for years on end. Do you know why they do it? Because they have great faith. That though God may not answer their prayers in the way that they want them answered and when they want them answered, that he's still going to answer their prayers. And so they go to the throne of grace persistently. And do you know what God does from time to time? He gives glimmers of hope that he hears the prayers and that he's working on the behalf of those who are praying. Amen. So believer, I would encourage you today to press in persistently to your Savior. When things don't go the, the way that you want them to go in the moment that you need them to go that way, continue to press in because in reality, isn't Jesus the only one who can help us anyways? So why would we go about finding another way? Why would we try to do things through our own strength and our own power? When this woman didn't get the answer she wanted immediately, she pressed in persistently and her great faith is written about and we still rejoice in her great faith to this day. You see, this type of persistent faith leaves an example for others to follow. If, if you have children in the room, I, I wonder what type of example are you leaving for your children by the persistence of your faith? That kids, regardless of, of how this goes, we're still going to trust in God. Regardless of what the outcome is or how God answers this prayer, we're still going to lean in him, into him persistently because we know that he does all things well as they describe Jesus in the end of this passage. 
We know that he works all things together for good. And so we're going to lean into him persistently because we understand he is the only one worth leaning into. And so her faith was visible. And that faith recognized the need that Jesus was the only one who could help her. Her faith was visible in that she pressed into Christ persistently. Even when she didn't get the answer she wanted in the way that she wanted, she still understood that Jesus was the only one who could help her. And then the third thing we see this morning is that faith is rewarded. In verses 29 and 30, the Bible says, And he said unto her, For this saying, Go thy way, the devil is gone out of thy daughter. And when she was come to her house, she found the devil gone out, and her daughter laid upon the bed. Faith is rewarded. As I said a moment ago, when Christ heard this woman talk back in the way that she did with the the amount of belief that was in her words and the faith that was exuding out of her as she spoke these words, but yes, Lord, even the dogs get the crumbs that fall. She was recognizing again that she didn't deserve for Jesus to do a miracle in her life. And again, this is a great picture that we need to be reminded of that we don't deserve the good things that God does in our lives. We don't, but by faith we press in because we know that he can do those great things. We press in and believe, and in this instance, her faith was rewarded in the way that she desired. Again, Christ is pleased with the response of this woman for it showed that she had a deep understanding of who he was. Though she may not have understood everything, she did understand this, that he was able I like how Mark puts it, for this saying. What does Jesus say or what does he mean when he says that? Because of what you have verbalized, because of the faith that was in your heart and how it came out of your mouth, because I recognize that you are indeed a true believer in who I am in some way, even in ways that the disciples were not yet. Jesus says, go your way, the devil is gone out of your daughter. For this saying, because of the faith that you have shown, your daughter has been made whole. Friend, do you understand today that the the amount of faith and who our faith is in matters? God does not ever require a perfect faith. But he does require the faith that we have to be in him and him alone. Does your faith ever stumble along the way? We all do. So what would that imply? That, that our faith is not perfect. It's, it's like the, the man who cried out for his son, Lord, I believe. Help thou my unbelief. And so when Jesus hears the words from this woman, he says, go thy way. Your, your faith, in essence, has made your daughter whole. The, the, demon, the demon or the devil has come out of her and go see for yourself. And I imagine as this woman then made her way to her house, she just kind of strolled casually with her hands in her pockets. You know, I just, I, I hope that Jesus is right. No. She took off running. She broke down the door. Why? Because for for who knows how long her daughter had been uncontrollable because of this devil that lived inside of her. When it says that the devil was gone out of her when she finally gets to the house and her daughter laid upon the bed, that's signifying that this was something that never happened before. This daughter who was once tormented and tortured 
by this demon possession was now laying and resting at peace because of the miracle that Jesus had done in her life. And why did Jesus do that miracle? Because of the faith this woman had. So her faith was rewarded. Her faith was rewarded in that her daughter was healed and that the demon was gone. The devil was cast out of her. And as she made her way home, it was with great hope in her heart and, and with a great expectancy in her mind as she went to, to find what Jesus had said be a reality in her life, that her daughter was healed. I was just talking to somebody the other day who, who was battling cancer and they've tried a bunch of different treatments, and, and nothing was helping. The cancer was only getting worse. Finally, they put this person on a new drug, and uh, a couple weeks later, they went back and did a scan, and there was no cancer to be found whatsoever. You know what this person said in that moment? Praise be to God. Why? Because he's the one who healed. Does he use oftentimes ordinary methods in this life, things that we're accustomed to, things that we understand. He certainly does, but ultimately God is the one who healed. And as this woman came to her house on this day and she found her daughter laying in the bed calm and, and demon free, she didn't say, look at how great a faith I had. What did she say? Look at what Jesus was able to do. And so while her faith was rewarded, all the glory goes to God. And while our faith and the object of our faith is the one who saves us, it's not we who get to boast in how great our faith is. Paul says there is no boasting in true salvation because true salvation comes from God and God alone. And true faith is indeed rewarded. Now our minds obviously go to the, the next question, which is, well, why hasn't my faith been rewarded? Can I tell you, friend, it probably has? but maybe you just haven't recognized it yet. Are you saying that, that everything I hope for is going to come true? No. But when your faith is in Jesus, the peace that he gives is reward enough. Now, sometimes God does go the extra mile, doesn't he? Sometimes he does heal, and sometimes he does save in ways that blow our mind. But when our faith is in him, we can have great peace in our hearts because we understand that he is the one who is in control. And why is it that this woman came to Jesus in the first place? Because she understood that Jesus was in control. And so her faith was rewarded. And I imagine that as she went home that day and she got into her daughter's bedroom, she let out a great sigh of rejoicing. And then she went and she grabbed her daughter by the hand. And again, this is conjecture, but it's kind of fun to think what these stories could have been like. She went house to house and said, this is my daughter. This is my daughter that before was uncontrollable, but now she's able to walk down the streets with me. This is my daughter who I often wouldn't let out of my house because of the, the terror that was going on inside of her, because of the pain that she was feeling, because of the menace that she would have been. And it wasn't her, but it was the demon inside of her. But now we can go out together because of what Jesus has done in her life. And the faith that she had in Jesus was a rewarded faith, but she didn't keep that faith to herself. She told others about the goodness of God, about the power of Jesus, about the authority that Jesus had over the demons in her daughter's life. 
And I wonder today, do, do we recognize the rewarded faith in our life? First off, as we've already talked about a few times, this idea of salvation. Friend, if you're here today, understand that it is not you who saves you. It is not your efforts. It is not your background. It is not your family history. It is not your good deeds. It is Christ alone that saves. And when Christ is the object of our faith, he's the author and the finisher of our faith. When we place our faith in him alone, the Bible says that he brings salvation to us that nothing else could offer. I would ask you today, have you looked to Jesus for your salvation? Have you trusted in the one who healed this, this little girl of her demon possession? Have you trusted in the one who, who a few weeks ago fed the multitudes with just five loaves and two fish? He's going to do that again in a few weeks. Have you come to the one who has healed the, all the ailments of the people that came to him? Have you come to him and put your faith and trust in him, not to just feel your, or heal your physical needs, but to heal your spiritual needs. If you're looking to anyone else, you will be disappointed. You will be let down. But if you look to him alone, your faith will be rewarded. Will you come to him? And then for those of us who are saved, I wonder when our faith is rewarded, who do we make the story about? When Jesus does something in our lives, when God performs a miracle on our behalf, does the story end up being more about us? And oh yeah, we give Jesus the credit, we give God the credit, but look at all the suffering I went through, and look at me now today. Or do we use and steward the things that God does in our lives for His honor and for His glory? Do we point others to Him because of what He has done in our lives? We saw earlier in Mark's gospel that when Jesus went to his hometown, he marveled at their lack of faith. And when we looked at that passage, we saw the only other time that it says Jesus marveled was because of somebody's great faith. I wonder, where is our faith today? On that scale of, of, of disappointing faith and great faith, where is our faith? And do we have a faith that is able to be rewarded because our faith is in him alone? This woman came, though she didn't have the right background, she came and spoke of what she understood to be true about Jesus, that he wasn't just the Savior or the healer for the Jews, but the, he had enough power. Even if it was just the crumbs that fell from all the other healings, they could still heal her daughter, and this woman's faith was indeed rewarded. The final thing that we see this morning is that faith is contagious. I was initially going to stop at verse number 30, but as I, as I read and reread the passage, it just made sense to bring these two things together. Because of the testimony of what we saw earlier in Mark's gospel to what we're seeing now. The Bible says in verse 31 of this contagious faith, faith is contagious, number four. And again, departing from the coast of Tyre and Sidon, he came into the Sea of Galilee through the midst of the coast of Decapolis. Now, who, who remembers when we saw Decapolis last time? Anybody? Remember, Jesus and the disciples had passed over the Sea of Galilee. It's when Jesus calmed the storm initially. And when they got to the other side, who was it that met them there? The maniac of Gadara. And when that man was healed, he wanted so badly to climb into the boat with Jesus and go with him and be with him and commune with him and watch him do greater things than, than even Jesus had done for himself. But what does Jesus say? No! 
go and tell. And remember, this was the man that was chained up in fetters and in bonds by the people who lived in this surrounding area because he was such a menace. Jesus said, go and tell. Go tell everybody you know about the things that I have done for you. And in fact, this is one of the only instances where Jesus actually says, go and tell. Do you think it was in part because Jesus knew he was coming back to that area? I don't know. Continuing on in verse 31, the Bible says, And they bring unto him one that was deaf and had an impediment in his speech, and they beseech him to put his hand upon him. So this faith of the maniac of Gadara, one that nobody listened to before, it now seems that somebody has listened to him because when Jesus enters back into that area, they start bringing people to Jesus. Mark tells us of this one character, this man that was was deaf and this man that had a speech impediment. He couldn't talk right. He couldn't talk well. And so they bring him to Jesus because, again, they understood that if Jesus could do it for the maniac, then he could do it for their friend as well. And so they bring this man. And when Jesus sees him, the Bible says in verse 33 that he took him aside from the multitude. So Jesus wasn't making a spectacle of this man. Now, if we think back to the woman with the issue of blood, when she touched the hem of his garment, what did he say? Who touched me? Right? He wanted everyone to see what was going on. But in this instance, for some reason, Jesus was a little more sensitive to this man. And the Bible says that he pulls him away from the multitude. And then Jesus does something that, quite frankly, is just weird. (laughs) He puts his fingers in the man's ears. And he either spits on his hand and touches the man's tongue. Or some say the better interpretation was that he just spits on the man's tongue. Either way, it's kind of like the dog situation. You call me a dog if it's a pet or a scavenger... I'm still offended. You spit on your hand and put it on my tongue or you just spit on my tongue. I think I might actually prefer you just spitting on my tongue because then I'm not getting the germs from your hand. I don't know, but either way, it's not a good scenario. And I struggle understanding what what is going on here. Why does Jesus do the weird things that he does? Several of the commentators that I read said because this man's speech was gone, he put his fingers in the man's ears to in some way show that he was entering into his world. He was recognizing the physical need that this man had. And and in some ways, by doing some sort of sign language, he's getting the man's attention and saying, hey, I recognize that you can't hear me. So he puts his fingers in his ears. And the same is true, many believe, about the, the spit on the tongue. Many in Bible times believe that saliva spit and, and it does, in some ways, has a healing power. Don't dogs come and lick people's wounds? And, and it brings some relief to those wounds when a dog licks them. It sounds gross, I understand. But there's truth to that. So by Jesus putting his fingers in the man's ears and by either spitting on his tongue or spitting on his hand and touching his tongue, Jesus was entering into this world of this man in an intimate way that nobody else could and says, hey, I recognize that you can't hear and I recognize that you can't speak. The Bible says that as Jesus did these things, he looked up to the heavens and he sighed. There's a lot of ways that we could go with this sigh of Jesus. What does the sigh mean? I, I think in part, it's again a recognition by the creator that the creation was broken. That this isn't the way that it's supposed to be. 
I think in another way, it's, it's the human side of Christ showing his dependency upon the Father. This sigh was one of those relinquishing things that, that God, I need you to do this. Father, I need you to do this miracle right now through me for this man. And whatever the sigh meant, it wasn't a sigh of annoyance like he had with the disciples oftentimes because they had no faith. But these people had faith and Jesus was letting out this sigh, recognizing the, the brokenness of humanity, recognizing the need for the power of God. And he says this word, ephatha, which we don't know what that means. Thankfully, they have translators that tell us what it means. And it simply says, be opened. And straightway, or as Mark likes to say, and immediately his ears were opened and the string of his tongue was loosed and he spake plain. Can you imagine hearing for the first time? The birds singing? The, the crowds of people that were surrounding? This man who we don't know how long he was deaf, uh, many think it was from his birth, but we have no way of knowing that. Even if you lost hearing for a year, you would forget all the sounds of the creation around you. And in this moment, his ears were opened. And the Bible says that the strings of his tongue were loosed and that speech impediment was gone. And he spake plainly. And then Jesus looks at them and he charges them. Last time he was here, he didn't do this. But this time he charges them that they should tell no man. But the more he charged them, so much the more a great deal they published it. It's, it's basically saying this. The more Jesus told them to be quiet, the louder they got. And we've all had car rides like that, haven't we? <laughs> Just be quiet. But why did, why did Jesus do that? Again, he did it because it was not yet his time. If you remember previously, we saw that there were some the religious crowd, the scribes and the Pharisees who wanted to kill Jesus. Why did Jesus come to this region to begin with? Because he wanted to get away from the crowds. So don't tell anybody. But then in, there were also some, as we saw recently in Mark, that wanted him to be king. And while both of these things were going to take place, it was not the time for either of them to take place. So Jesus says, don't tell anybody. But the people couldn't hold their peace. The Bible says in verse 37, and they were beyond measure astonished. Are you beyond measure astonished with Jesus in your life? Sadly, it's a reality that many in the modern church get bored with Jesus. How can we get bored with Jesus? How can we get bored with the one who does the things that he does in the Gospels but also the one who does the things that he does in our lives. How can we get bored with the Savior of the world? And the Bible goes on to say, he hath done all things well. Friend, you may not like what Jesus is doing in your life right now, but can we agree with Mark that whatever he does, he does well? And he does it for a purpose. It goes again to show that everything that Jesus did, he did with great intention, that there was never a misstep, that there was never a mishap, that there was never a time in Jesus' life where he wished that he could have a mulligan or a redo. He did all things well, and it's a reminder of Romans 8, 28, that all things work together for good. Well, how can all things work together for good? Because the one who does all things, who holds all things, who controls all things, does all things well. And if that's the truth which it is, 
Shouldn't that give us as believers great peace in our hearts with whatever comes into our lives? He does all things well. The Bible says, they continue to say, He maketh both the deaf to hear and the dumb to speak. I was reminded this morning of the hymn, All the Way My Savior Leads Me. And the first verse of that song says this, All the way my Savior leads me, what have I to ask beside? Can I doubt His tender mercy who through life has been my guide? Heavenly peace, divinest comfort, here by faith in Him to dwell. For I know whatever befalls me, Jesus doeth all things well. And it repeats, for I know, I have faith, I have confidence that whatever comes into my life, either victory or defeat, either riches or poverty, either great health or death by disease, I know whatever befalls me, Jesus doeth all things well. But how did we get here? Because there was a man that nobody wanted anything to do with who had an encounter with Jesus that changed his life. And that man went and spread abroad everything that Jesus had done for him. He said, oh, if you meet my Jesus, he can change your life too. If you have faith in my Jesus, he can turn your world upside down. His faith was contagious. And church, I would ask us this morning in closing, is our faith contagious? What do people know about you? Do they know the one who's changed your life? When's the last time you actually shared with somebody about the transformative power of Jesus? Not in a physical sense, but in a spiritual sense. When's the last time you shared your testimony and said, this is what I was, this is what I used to do, this is where I used to go, this is who I used to be, but Jesus changed everything. That man, as he walked around, I'm sure he said things like, hey, it's me, the guy that you locked up. It's me, the guy that, that no matter how many times you chained me, because of the demons that were within me, I could break free from those bonds and fetters time and time again. It's me, but don't be afraid. Because I'm not who I used to be. I'm changed. And as shocked as the people were, I think this passage gives us some insight that there were at least some people who listened. And when they saw Jesus coming, they said, I want to have what that man has. And so they brought their friend who was then healed by Jesus. If we're going to have our faith be contagious, we simply have to follow what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. If you remember just a moment ago, I said when we speak of our faith, it's not we who are the object, it's not we who are the champion or the victor, but it's Him. And so our testimonies, if you've ever been to summer camp, testimony time around the fire late at night often turns into, I was born a baby. And then I grew up in my parents' house, and I was always a really good person, and Jesus changed my life, and now look how good I am. And who's it about? It's me. 
Me, 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 me. But who should it be about? Jesus. If our faith is going to be contagious, we have to make our lives about him. And so I ask us again, do we have a visible faith? Do we have a faith that Christ would deem as great? Are we trusting? Are we leaning into him? Are we believing him for the impossible? Are we pursuing him passionately? This woman is a great example, and though she didn't belong because of her background, she believed, and Christ rewarded that faith. And you may be here today, and you say, I don't belong in church because of my background. Well, let's, let's spend some time sharing our backgrounds after church tonight or today. And then let's point each other to the one who changed us so that we do belong in this place. This woman came by faith, and her daughter was healed. But beyond that, I believe her and her daughter's lives were changed forever. And so two closing questions. One, do you have faith in Christ? Have you trusted him as your savior? And two, are you living out a visible faith for the world around you to see? If all they see is you, if all they see is me, then let us understand we have failed. If all they see is our strengths and our abilities in the workplace or our humor or our our magnetic personality, then we have failed. But if we take those things that God has given us, strength and wisdom and a magnetic personality, and we use them to point others to Him, what a life to live. What a life to live. Do we have visible faith? God, we thank you again for this time that we can be here today. We do pray, God, that you would work in our hearts, that that you would remind us again that, God, you are worthy of our faith. Help us to be like this woman who who sees a need and then presses in persistently and then sees the faith rewarded. But then, God, let us not keep that story to ourselves, but let us tell the world that our Savior, let's tell the world about what He's done for us. And along the way, God, may our hearts be firm in this belief that whatever you do in our lives, You do all things well. Thank you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for your kindness towards us. May we be lights in a dark world that proclaim your glory. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.